The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and this week on Real Life Real Estate, it's my favorite time of the year, not because of the holidays, but because of getting to talk to the winners of the Best and Worst Deals of the Year Awards. For those of you who aren't familiar with those awards, uh, each year, a lot of real estate associations will have a uh, holiday type of party and they'll they'll have their members who've done deals that year march up and talk about them and then hand out awards for best deal of the year worst deal of the year most creative deal and best deal by a new investor so we're going to be hearing today from uh, some folks from both Columbus and Cincinnati who won awards and they've got some great stories to tell here Uh, you want to stay tuned because I think you're going to be inspired and educated you're going to be amused by some of them and it's going to be a great time so let's go ahead and get started with our best and worst deals of the year show we're talking now to terry pollard who is the winner of the best deal by a new investor uh here in cincinnati at the real estate investors association of greater cincinnati and uh, that's always a thrilling award to win because what it means is that you, you have done your first, you know, actual deal sometime within the prior 12 months. So congratulations, Terry. Um, Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a new investor of a little over a year from the Cincinnati, Ohio area. Uh, my other daily job is taking care of my mother here at home. So um, I try to spend as much time as I can, since I am at home and have that flexibility, I try to spend as much time as I can, look, you know, researching the deals and trying to locate those deals. And your big winning deal this year was actually a wholesale deal, which a lot of, that's how a lot of folks dip their toe into the water of the real estate investing world. Give us some more detail about it. So like what kind of property was it? What kind of neighborhood was it in? My deal was in a suburb of Cincinnati in a primarily rental-type neighborhood. It's an older home, single-family home. The wonderful thing about it was it needed very little to get it ready to go for the next landlord who wanted to take on that project. Um, I located it by sending out direct mail to a list of -of out-of-state owners, which prompted the owner who had inherited it to call me. You know, it took a little bit of time working with him, and he was traveling. So we had a little bit of uh, delay getting contracts and and paperwork back and forth. But once I was able to actually get in and see the property, then I was 
able to make a list of the needed repairs, which, like I said, it was in pretty decent shape. Then we just uh, went to work on finding the Mayo or the maximum allowable offer, took into account the repairs, and that's how I arrived at my figures. Mm -hmm. So I, I deducted the repair cost from Mayo, and I developed that starting point, and he wasn't going for it. We went back and forth a little bit and trying to explain, well, you, you haven't exactly seen it in a few years. So it's been under property management. There's, you haven't seen how the last tenants left it. And, you know, it's going to need this, this, and this. And he wanted me to come up higher than I wanted. So I backed off and uh, I waited, I don't know, maybe a day, a day or so. I reworked my numbers. I, I delved into it a little bit further, and I, I tried to see if there was anything that I could do to to help him, you know, so that it was a win-win for both of us. We, we finally did arrive at a number. Once we got it negotiated, I put it under contract. My exit strategy was going to be a wholesale deal. This was my very first wholesale deal, so, yeah, it was really exciting to know that, you know, I did all the research, I did all the work, and, you know, I had a few questions here and there, but it went well. The most interesting thing about this was being a new investor, I have not been able to build up the largest buyers list. I have a few buyers, but... You know, when this seller called me, it's not an area that I personally invest in, and I didn't know a lot of people who invest in that part of town. I did everything I knew I had to do. I sent out flyers, and I marketed it on the websites, and I advertised on Craigslist. I took flyers to Panera. I did everything I could think to get this picture of this house out there and, and the information and the fact that it's such a great deal because you're your rate of return is wonderful on it. And I, I wasn't getting anything back. So a couple of weeks sitting on this contract, and I started getting a little antsy, and I kind of, you know, put the word out. I'd already put the word out at RIA. I posted it on the RIA website. Still no bites. So I have a, an acquaintance who has a real estate license and is a member of our local RIA. She obviously has a buyer's list already built up over the years from her, her business. So she was able to actually locate a buyer that does buy in that area. So um, that's how we were able to actually get the deal closed. Mm -hmm. I brought the property and she brought the buyer. You know, sometimes we've talked to her on Real Life Real Estate about those JV deals and how they, they can be sort of legally iffy because, like, you had a contract, and that's what you were selling. It was your property. I mean, the contract was your property. So you've, mm -hmm. got, you've yeah. got no issue. But sometimes the other person in the JV deal is kind of in a, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a squishy position because they're getting money for not representing somebody, not selling something that they own. But of course, a person with a real estate license is licensed by the state to take fees for providing services to people in the real estate world. So that's why that piece of it is important. And a couple of interesting things about this. First of all, that that ended up meaning that because somebody else brought the buyer into the deal, you did split your wholesale fee. So you ended up with a check for how much? Uh, the check was um, 3950 
thirty-nine fifty. So you know, mm-hmm. better day than most. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah definitely. <laughs> um, the second, the second thing that I thought was really interesting about your deal is that a lot of new investors, and especially new wholesalers, people who've just never done it before, they run out and they look for the most expensive, most retailable. They're thinking my customer is a homeowner. So my, my, you know, my end customer, I'm going to sell it to somebody who's going to fix up the property and sell it to a homeowner. And this neighborhood you're describing is not that kind of neighborhood. So the, the end buyer here, I assume, was a landlord who's going to rent it, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And I think it's an important lesson, especially in the market the way it is right now, to wholesalers to say, don't forget that there are many, 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 many folks out there who aren't looking to fix and resell a property. They're looking to fix and hold it. And if you if you ignore these rental neighborhoods because you're like, oh, well, that's not where I would want to live or that's not where retailers tell me they want houses, then you're walking away from potential profit. Yeah, that's one thing I had to get past. Someone actually said that to me that, you know, just because you wouldn't want a property in that area doesn't mean there's not someone out there who will. That did a lot to my psyche to get me moving in the right direction definitely an important point. That's probably the most important lesson for me that I got out of this whole thing was that, yes, that's not my particular area, but you know, there's plenty of people out there who very well could like that. There's an awful lot of real life real estate listeners that it seems like year after year after year, they're calling us, sending us emails, all that kind of stuff, hoping to be in your position, hoping that this will be the year that they do their very first deal. So if you had one thing that you could say to folks who are who are in that position, who are you know right now where you were a year ago, hoping to do that first deal, what would that piece of advice be? I honestly believe that I did not start seeing progress until I really paid attention to the marketing. I believe the marketing was the most important thing to get those leads coming in. I did not have leads coming in like that until I really focused and drilled down on the marketing. I was previously only sending maybe 50 postcards out as opposed to the 200 pieces of direct mail that I send out now per week. Once I elevated it to the next level, then I started seeing results. Very good. Great advice, Terry Pollard. Congratulations on your best deal by a new investor win this year and hope to have you back here this time next year with just plain old best deal of the year. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Terry. Thank you. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's our best and worst deal of the year program, a time that uh, I always always enjoy these shows because I get to talk to some great people. Next, we have the winner of one of the funnest categories, or at least let let me say it's always fun for the folks who it didn't happen to, and that is Worst Deal of the Year. And the winner from Columbus, from the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs Group, was Mr. Brandon Knight, who, I, I man, Brandon, I think half the reason that you won was because it was like watching a comedy show to hear you tell this story to that group of people, but I don't know how funny you actually thought it was while it was going on. Yeah, I didn't actually think it was funny at all. <laughs> and I was, when uh, when I got a call from, from Sarah, I told her, I said, actually, I wasn't, wasn't even trying to be funny. <laughs> you 
know. <laughs> but well, that's just, I guess that's the way it came off. We have a, a little video of part of that presentation up on the Kori Facebook site for anybody who wants to who wants to see the audience just rolling in the aisles on that. But now you get to tell it in front of a uh, radio audience again. It's like it's like double punishment, right? It like it happened to me. And that was bad. And then I and then I and then I won an award because it was the worst deal. And then now I have to tell the story again. So first, let's start by just talking a bit a little bit about you. Uh, how long you've been doing the real estate business? What's your real job? You know, if you you know <laughs> your your other job, if you right. will. Well, I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. I lived in Florida for a few years in Sanford, Florida, Altamont Springs, and Deltona, a few miles southwest of Daytona. I'm currently living in Columbus, Ohio now. I'm a certified HVAC technician and professional handyman. I run a small business called Royal Bees Handyman Service and AC in Columbus, Ohio. You would think that with all these handyman skills you have, that mm-hmm. you, you somehow would have <laughs> known better than to get into the deal you got into. But let's kind of paint a picture here for listeners who might not know the Columbus area that well. What kind of property is it? What kind of neighborhood is it in? Give us a give us a visual here. It's a single family house, and it's in a working class, semi retired neighborhood. I came to the decision of getting this during a time when the finances were low, and I had to I had a family member and a couple people that I knew that were having trouble with their mortgages. And I said to myself, I would never pay a mortgage. So I'm going to get a house. I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to live in it for a few months. I'm going to sell it for a profit. I'm going to repeat this process. I'm never going to have a mortgage again. And, of course, I would have to pay the full price at closing. And I only had about $3,200 to come up with this plan and to work this plan out. But I was determined to find this house in a, in a price range of $3,200. I was desperate. And as a handyman, I thought there was no house or problem that I could not fix. I was going to buy this house no matter what. I had no knowledge about real estate, but I had this plan, and I and I was this plan was going to go through. It was a uh, three bed, two bath house with two car garage or one third of an acre. So I thought I found the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah, sounds great so far. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was the seller situation like? Why why were they selling so cheap? The lady was eighty something years old. Neither one of her children had jobs or anything or could keep up the house, and they needed to get rid of it. And I found it on Craigslist, and so they wanted uh, they wanted $5,000 cash for it. And I told the lady, I said, I said, look, lady, and, 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 and this is not disrespecting any women or anything, but I just said, look, lady, I'll give you $3,500 for it and not a penny more. Mm-hmm. And she went back and talked to the family, and they came back. You know, she came back within a few minutes and said, it's a deal. <laughs> and I was super happy. I was smiling. I said, you know what? I just saved myself $1,500. <laughs> I was happy. Uh-huh. And, and and in retrospect, now you're probably thinking, no wonder she said yes so fast. So paid cash, cheap price, sounds great. On land, you know, exact, you, you just described like the perfect house that everybody wants, a 3-2 with a two-car garage. <laughs> so, right. so how did this turn into the worst deal of the year? Well, I began to start cleaning the house and being blinded by my ambition and my zeal. I didn't realize that I got what I got myself into. The house was full of trash and debris, literally up to my knees throughout the whole house. 
the backyard was the same and it was full of weeds. It even had old cars in it that they were working on and left there, had furniture and trash. The grass was more than five feet tall, and I'm serious about that. I walked in the house and I fell through the floor, through the section of the floor, and I found myself in the crawl space, which was a complete shock. I was in a lot of pain. I went to try and get up from out the crawl space and I grabbed one of the floor joists and it crumbled into powder. I grabbed another floor joist and it crumbled into powder. Now I could break the sub flooring and the sill plates when I was trying to get up. I broke them with my hands, literally the sill plates that the house was sitting on, on top of the foundation. All that wood was breaking up in my hands. And I finally got out and I was hurt. I was upset. And in anger, I kicked the wall with what I thought was some brute force, and the whole wall just broke into pieces and it came down. I mean, I'm a big guy, but I don't remember ever having the strength to knock a whole wall down so easily. And so on on top of that, the house was full of animal feces and like a concentrated urine, so the smell was deadly. And as I got some of the debris out of the house and took the uh, boards off the windows and the light shined through the house, the nightmare had really began. I noticed that about 25% of the whole house had been on fire and the walls and studs and the ceiling joists and the rafters and the uh, roof sheathing were all charbroiled. So structural problems, I assume the, I assume the issues with the floor joists were, were termites, dry rot. What did that turn out to be? It turned out to be termites because a neighbor had came over there because he heard a lot of noise and uh, he told me, he said, uh, yeah, you know that house had been uh, eaten up by termites. And then he said, you know, the lady, she had 87 cats. Well, I said, don't, nobody in the world has 87 cats. That don't make no sense. I went down in the basement, and in the basement there was four, five, six bags of cat food that were open and gone. And there was a window that was taken out for the cats to, you know, have entry. You know, and also, I didn't say when I was in that crawl space, there were six dead cats in that crawl space, which scared me. And literally, that day, I just dropped to my knees, and I just I just started crying, you know. And I was so upset, I even prayed, and I said, God, why did you, what did you get me into? Why didn't you tell me that this house was so bad? And so, it was a mess. So, I mean, another neighbor even told me that uh came over because they was glad to see that the house was getting cleaned up. And he said, yeah, you know that lady, man, she had 67 cats. <laughs> and that's when I knew, when I heard it from the other neighbor next door, that's when I knew this lady had a lot of cats. And the smell was real bad in there, and I opened up, there was a refrigerator in there. When I opened up the refrigerator, it was full of meat from two years ago when the people had moved out of the house. And when I opened it up, a bunch of looks like cat or possum feces fell out the refrigerator. <laughs> and when I looked to my right, there was a possum, a live possum. I kid you not, looking dead at me as if I just broke into his house. <laughs> and it scared me. I didn't know whether this possum was going to run. So I tried to scare it, but it didn't move. And I realized I had a battle on my hands and I don't fight animals. I don't deal with them. I wasn't going to try to fight the possum, <laughs> you know. And so it scared me, and I finally found me a way to get out the house. I went out through the back door. It was just a mess. It, it was literally a mess. And <laughs> eventually I uh, I got everything out. It took me probably six weeks to clear the house plus the yard to get it trimmed down. I got a letter in the mail from the city, 
and found out that the house had two cases against it and was condemned and set to be demolished in a month. The cases transferred to me from the previous owner. And I literally had to go downtown, sitting in zoning, building and zoning, and talk to them. And then I had to go downtown and talk to them about some things. And then they told me if I continued to do production and work on the house and get it together and get everything cleared up, that they would cancel the case. But they couldn't cancel it until, you know, it passed inspection and got a certificate of occupancy. Ultimately, what happened here, because I know a lot of people just would have thrown their hands up and said, go ahead, city, demolish it. Right. But uh, I uh, had a different plan in mind. I wanted to actually live there and fix it up and then in a few months sell it. So, I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, y'all might think it's trash, but I'm going to take this trash and turn it into gold. <laughs> you know, that's the mindset that I had. And I put about $15,000 of material into the house, redid the seal plates, redid all the floor joists, redid all the walls, ceiling joists. One of the neighbors came and said, hey, this is actually starting to look like a house. <laughs> I redid all the siding. I did 93% or more of that work myself and still spent over $5,000 paying other people to do labor as well. So I had $15,000 in materials, $5,000 in other people's labor, and $10,000 of my own labor. So I could pretty much say I had a good $30,000 into this property. And I got to the point where I just, I was tired. I was tired and I just didn't want to put no more time into it because the city kept finding more stuff that they wanted done. And I just didn't have the money anymore. I didn't have any more money to do anything else. And so I decided, well, I'm going to sell it. And that was a whole nother venture because people could not get financing on this type of house because of the condition that it was in. No bank would finance it. And so that became a heartache. I had about 30 different people that said they would buy it. And then there was a section of the ceiling that I couldn't get because I, I'm, I don't do roof work. So it was still charred and burnt. And mm-hmm. that was a turnoff for every single customer. And then one day, uh, a Mexican family had came up and looked at it and already knew they weren't going to buy it. And so I had already, you know, I said, this house got a couple cases against it. It's got this problem. It's got that problem. It's got this. It's got that. And the guy said, okay. He said, I have a whole team, and we can fix all these problems. He said, how much do you want? I said, I want 22000 for it. I want to try to get some of my money back. He offered eighteen, and I said nineteen, And so we agreed on nineteen. I took a, I took a big loss because I had a lot of holding costs. I've been, and I paid up all the property tax on that place, which was uh, right around $3,000 plus dollars. So I took probably a fifteen thousand dollar loss. Yeah, and that's a that that's a, that's a spanking. Everybody in this business eventually takes a spanking. If you're around long enough, it's it's going to happen to you. But what lesson did you get out of this that you're going to carry forward for the rest of your life? No matter how much ambition or zeal or desperation that I have to get something or do something to. If, especially if it's business, to actually learn about the business. And that's how I ended up getting into the core read through my cousin Carl. And Carl told me, he gave one of the big things that happened, Vina, was he gave me your book that he got from going to one of your classes. It's mm-hmm. the one that's in the binder. Mm-hmm. He said, before you do anything else, 
read this book. Get some education. Said, <laughs> yes, and get some education. He said, please. He said, this book has helped me with so many things. And that's how I became a core member by uh, reading your book. That's how I ended up becoming a member. And I said, boy, I wish I knew just the first two chapters of this book. I would have never even bought that house. <laughs> Yeah, and we're, we're, we're very glad to have you as part of the Kori community and glad that you're willing to share your lessons with everybody else. And now that you've uh, taught yourself a really expensive boot camp and also are with some folks who can help you out in the future to not, not get yourself into situations like that, um, hoping to have you back here next year with the best deal of the year. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. You're tuned in to our best and worst deal of the year show, where we've got folks from a couple of associations here in Ohio, Co-Re in Columbus and Cincinnati Rhea, who walked away with the best and worst deals of the year at this year's contest. Our next winner is Tim Dye, who won the Best Deal by a New Investor Award in Columbus. If you're wondering how, like, we've got two best new investors here, that's because both Columbus and Cincinnati Rhea have their own awards. And Tim beat out a couple other people to win the Best Deal by a New Investor at Cori in Columbus. So uh, congratulations, Tim. That's always an exciting award to win. Like, you know, for my first year and I get to go home with a plaque. So tell (laughs) listeners a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? How long you been in real estate? What's your real life like? Uh, I'm born and raised in Columbus. I'm a local native Buckeye, bleed scarlet and gray, the whole nine yards. I've been in real estate for rentals. I've, I've had some rentals for about 13 years, but I'm very new to rehabbing. The rentals were very much a passive strategy for long term that I bought quite some time ago, overpaid for them drastically, survived the recession and everything, came out the other side okay. But in terms of um, rehabs and flips, very new. Started it within the last year, basically, in, in 20, 2015, I, I started it. So I used to have a corporate job up until recently. Recently left that, so I'm a full-time investor now. I have a, a wife and three beautiful young kids, the age of 5, 7, 11, so I keep myself pretty busy. Full-time investor now, loving it. Comes with a lot of great advantages and obviously a lot of challenges as well, which I, I love working through those challenges. So that's a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, tell us about your award-winning deal and kind of help the folks who are not from the area to understand the neighborhood that it's in, the type of property that it is, bedrooms, things like that. This deal was in Hilliard, and so for those that aren't familiar with the Central Ohio area, Hilliard is a you know a nice uh, suburb on the west side of Columbus. You know, this deal is actually in a fairly rural area of of Hilliard. And so it was on five acres, really nice brick ranch with a barn, really dense woods in the background or in the the back. And yet it was only, the property is only about five minutes from what you call downtown Hilliard, which is kind of a quaint little town that still has normal amenities and a little bit of a small town feel very near Columbus. I got the deal from direct mail. So, you know, I'm still relatively new to direct mail, but have tried some different things and tried to, you know, have learned a ton from people at Corey and Vina and people like that about just staying consistent. And this one definitely took some follow-up, took a few phone calls and 
some back and forth over the course of several weeks. I mean, they didn't just come running at me wanting me to buy their house far below market value. So took some follow-up. I stayed with it. Ended up finally getting them to just agree to meet with me. So once I met with them, I was kind of nervous as all get out because, you know, like I said, I'm still quite new at, at this and negotiating directly with sellers. So I had to kind of amp myself up. And I met, met with them. I just did a lot of listening of what the issues were. And, you know, I, I always try to make sure I feel very good about solving the problems and whatever the issue is. Able to do that. And, you know, the house is in really bad shape like hoarder type shape. So I was able to take the house off their hands, which they clearly did not want. And they still were able to walk away with quite a bit of money in their pocket after any of their liens were paid off. So yeah, that's how I got it. Mm -hmm. And what, what was the seller situation? Was it an estate situation or? She was a little bit older, but she had inherited a house from her parents that had built the house a long time ago. And you could tell this property was at one point in wonderful condition. It was very well built. And yet, Clearly, over the last five or six years, it was in poor shape. I mean, there was cats and dogs everywhere mowing. They weren't paying the property taxes. The septic system was overrun. So it was really getting in bad shape in a hurry. They, the people living there were unemployed with no income. And, you know, we're just getting a lot of kind of harassment at this point from city officials about the condition and the property taxes. So I just kind of was listening to that and just said, hey, well, here's what I can do to solve the issue for you. And they were really ecstatic to hear that, and especially how easy I made it for them and how quick I'd worked completely on their time frame and, and just tried to make sure I was meeting every need that came up. Give us some numbers here. What did you figure the after-repaired value was? What did you figure the repair costs were going to be? And then what did you get it for? When I went into it, because it's a, it's not in a cookie-cutter subdivision-type neighborhood where the comps are black and white, it was tough. Again, part of this, because I'm new to it, I, I have a, uh, an agent that is kind of on my team that helps me analyze these tougher ones. And so I actually kind of went into it thinking that my ARV was maybe $290,000, $290,000, was hoping I could get it to three hundred. And so when I went out and sort of walked the property, I estimated the repair costs at probably about $60,000. Mm-hmm. And so when I was sort of talking to them, I was waiting for them to suggest what price they wanted to sell it. And their number one, their major concern was to pay off the home equity line, get the property taxes paid for, which would have been about $100,000. And through some back and forth, I was able to, to get it at 140,000, you know, and that's on an ARV that I was hoping would be close to 300 with 60,000 rehab. So fast forward, it was a tough, tough rehab. I had to get rid of my contract. It was three weeks in because it just wasn't showing up. And so I had to kind of start over. I fought through it. You know, I was still working my full-time corporate job at this point. So I'm meeting people at 7 a.m., 7 p.m. trying to get somebody to rehab this house. I had it on a hard money loan at the time. I, I, I use mostly private money investors now, but at the time it was hard money and I could just feel the ticking away <laughs> on interest every day. And so I'm, you know, I'm moving heaven and earth to try to get this thing going again and a lot of perseverance and doing whatever it took to move forward. So we got it back on track. It probably took about five or six weeks longer than I would have liked it to, which in hindsight isn't too bad given how much work we had to do and, and the delays I was running into. And so on an estimate of 60000 I think we actually ended up spending a little over 70000 But on the other side, 
once we really when, when we finished it and I had an agent who was going to list it and really saw the level of finish quality that we did and the market, we listed it at three hundred and fifty thousand, and we sold it at full price for three hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, and it was in contract within a week. Wow! So you were being super conservative, as it turned out on the ARV when you when you yeah. I mean, you thought your offer was low at a two ninety ARV. Right? Yeah, and, and, you know, in that area, those types of properties is kind of tough because there's no real neighborhood per se, and. One of the things I've really learned as I've gotten into this business is, you know, a lot of people say, like to say, well, I really try to be conservative. I really try to be conservative. And I just try to be smart and accurate. And certainly I was low on that one, but I wasn't really trying to be conservative per se. But it, it just taught me another lesson that, you know, I think you have to be smart and you have to be accurate. Because if you just go in trying to be so conservative all the time, you're probably going to miss out on deals because other investors that are accurate are going to come in behind you and they're going to pay what a little bit more and make a great deal out of it. So I've really tried to make sure that I'm as accurate as possible in everything that, that I'm analyzing. That is a good lesson to not intentionally be overly conservative because I remember the first, oh, let's face it, probably 50 offers I made as a, as a brand new <laughs> real estate investor we're all along the lines of, well, I think the property's worth 100 but there is this one sale for 80 So to be conservative, I'm going to say 80 And I think it's only going to cost yeah. 25 to fix it. But, you know, I better pad that so it could be as much as 40 to fix it. And then the offers that I was making were like zero, you know, when I could have right. yeah. paid. Doing the math. Yeah, and I could have paid. Those are properties I could have paid twenty or $30,000 for. And I was seriously offering five. And guess what? They got turned down all the time. <laughs> yeah, of course. And then how much money are you making on the deal that you didn't get? Yeah, Zero. exactly. Exactly. So yeah. so that that's a good lesson. Is there anything else that if you could just kind of grab all real life real estate listeners right now and say, hey, here's something that you need to know to be successful in the next 12 months, what that piece of advice would be? There's probably several things, but if I would just pick one, I know it's overused a, a little bit, but I'll clarify. I mean, just just taking action, just getting in there and moving forward, you know, don't get caught with analysis paralysis. Take a partner if you have to on your first couple. You, know, you don't have to form a long-term partnership, but take a partner from a, an experienced person, an experienced in investor for your first couple and work out something where you can, you know, maybe split the profits or something so you can learn, but get in there. I mean, I, I see so many people that call themselves investors and they're new and they're just trudging along for months or even years without really doing anything. The only way you can, I think, get good at this business is just by doing and learning and having the mindset that you're absolutely going to make mistakes. Everybody is. And you just have to chalk it up as you might have paid a little bit to learn and make that mistake. But if you look at it that way and decide that the next time I may not make that mistake, then I'm going to keep going forward. But you've got to get in there. And there's only so much you can learn from books and classes before you just have to get in there and do it. So take action, go for it, move forward. Very good and great advice. I don't care how many times it's been said already. It's still great advice. <laughs> so yeah. congratulations on your win for best deal by a new investor. And uh, we very much appreciate you uh, being willing to share your story with us, Tim. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Dana. Thank you. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's our best and worst deal of the year program, a time that uh, I always I always enjoy these shows because 
I get to talk to some great people. And my next guest is a best deal of the year winner. Yay, best deal of the year. No explanation there. It's, it's you know, the, the folks voted and it was, uh, this was the best deal done by a member in Columbus this time. As, as you've all heard or will hear, we kind of are going back and forth between the Columbus and Cincinnati uh, deal winners. But this is Roger Baker, who beat out a huge crowd. I mean, we had a, we had a lot of contestants this year for best deal of the year, but not not only beat him out, but kind of, let, let's face it, spanked him. Because, Roger, you pulled off a really great deal in 2016, and I congratulate you for that. Let's start by just kind of letting the audience know about Roger. Who, how long have you been doing the real estate business? What did you do before you did the real estate business? Where are you from? All of that good sort of stuff. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I am a general contractor by trade, which, you know, most of my business is remodeling houses. And, you know, we do high dollar stuff. Uh, we just did a $500,000 renovation on a house, uh, like a total rehab. But most of the time I flip houses. And I started about probably about two and a half years ago, started going, you know, learning about real estate and thought it'd be a good thing to do. And I wasn't really looking for buy and hold properties, but this one kind of, this deal kind of presented itself. And I thought, well, and the things I was learning at the core meetings kind of prompted me to do this deal. Real life real estate listeners are from all over the country. And I know some of them are super duper jealous of the deals that we can make here in the Midwest. But at the same time, they're not always super duper familiar with the areas where properties are. So tell listeners a little bit about what kind of area this was in and then property type, age, you know, that sort of detail that helps that helps folks understand what, what sort of property we're talking about. What I did was I actually purchased two four-unit apartment buildings. It's not a suburb. It's right in the city of Columbus, which and it's not uh, a high end. It's, it's probably lower to, to middle class, but the apartment buildings were in great shape. People that had them before took great care of them. I actually did some work on one of the buildings about 10 years ago with my construction company because I've known the people for a long time. It was, it was two apartment buildings that I purchased with actually no money down. Uh-huh. So so eight total units, but in two different buildings, right? Yes, yeah, two buildings. There's an alley that separates them, so they're right next door to each other, which makes it easy. So one-bedroom units, two-bedroom units? One building has all four, all single and then one of the other buildings has two two uh, bedrooms, and the other ones are two or single bedrooms. Okay, and what kind of rents do you get for one and two bedrooms in that area? Well, actually, she the lady that had them was a little bit low on because I checked uh, checked the area out on rents, but they should be getting around four fifty a month. And I've you know I have already raised the rents ten dollars per unit, uh, but one of them is at four hundred. One of them is at four thirty. She's got them kind of the one single bedrooms, and then the two bedrooms. I think I get five ten for one and five twenty for the other, which those should be around five fifty. Which you know, over the next couple of years, I'll I'll slowly raise those. Any owner paid utilities? I mean, I, you know, for the landlords out there, this is the kind of thing that they want to know before they see what a great deal you got. They pay their own gas and electric. Now the water, I do pay the water just because they are not metered, and I am going to look into you know being able to do that, but I was told the wind building would be pretty tough to do, but I do pay for the water, and that runs about 250 to $300 every three months. But as far as utilities go, the people are responsible for their own, util- own utilities. The really good part of the story, I mean, people buy four families all the time. The really good part of the story, though, and I think what won you the Best Deal of the Year award was the negotiation that you did. 
<laughs> to get this deal to where you wanted it. So let's talk about that. Actually, I, I kind of have a little bit of a leg up because I've known the people that own the buildings probably for 18 years. She is actually, the woman is actually the architect that I use for a lot of my building projects and things like that. And I actually worked on one of the buildings probably 10 years ago. I took uh, some metal staircase off and rebuilt a wood platform for her as a contractor. But about last September, a year ago September, she had approached me about, she knew I was doing some real estate stuff. Most of the things I do is flip houses. But she approached me and asked me if I knew anybody that would be interested in those. And I actually told her, yeah, I belong to this real estate group, and there's always people looking for those. So I actually printed off the information she had and took that to one of the, the Corey meeting and passed out some of the flyers. And nobody, I think a few people checked it out, but nobody really bid on it. <laughs> this was this was in September. So I kept been going to the Corey meetings and listening to everybody talk about, oh, if you can get a, a you know, no money down deal, do it. So about December of last year, was a year ago, I told my wife, I said, well, I'm going to call Amy and see if she still has those apartments. And it was something that happened at one of the quarter meetings that prompted me to do it. And so I called her and asked her if she still had those units. And, of course, she said yes. And I asked her if she would be interested in selling them to me with owner financing. And she, her answer was absolutely. What it cost me was I got a $190,000 asset for the two buildings. And it cost me $300. And what I did was with that, it was $100 for a real estate attorney to write the contract up. And then it was $100 per building to do a title search. So I actually took possession of them with a $300 investment. Now, wait a minute. Let me, first of all, let me let me back up and say you might be being a little bit overly modest by saying you had a leg up because you knew the lady. Because you did bring that deal to everybody else. You gave, you <laughs> gave them the same leg up that you had, but you were the one who went, huh, Maybe there's something here that I should go back and take a closer look at. So, yeah, I know, you know, she had that she had that connection with you where she she sort of knew you. But, uh, you know, you got to pull the trigger. There's so many people who see so many deals over the course of a year and don't pull the trigger that you need to give yourself a little pat on the back for going ahead and doing that. <laughs> now, what was the nature of the financing? Did did is she carrying back a mortgage? Is it a land contract? What how how was that actually set up? She did it as a, Ohio is a great state for land contract deals, and that's actually how we did that. Now, one of the buildings, they still owe some money on it. Now, what it does is that building cash flows between 3500 to 3800 a month, depending on who's late. Yeah. <laughs> but I've been averaging $3,700 a month income on that, and what we did was the payment that I pay to her is $2,722 a month. That includes the taxes and insurance. And that deal is for seven and a half years, and then they're free and clear and paid for in seven and a half years. And I got to say, that was my favorite part of the deal right there, was that it's not just that you got really good financing and it was no qualifying and it was very low money down. It was that in seven years, you're going to have paid off buildings. Yes. And what I was, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, you know, I'm in seven years, I'm going to be 65 years old. And I thought, you know what, by that point, I should have my rents up enough in seven years to where I'm, I should be clearing around $4,000 a month. And I'm looking at that as that's a pretty good retirement check. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, while most people are trying to figure out how to live on their social security, <laughs> you're going to be raking in an extra, you know, what's that going to work out to probably clearing 2,500 bucks a month after all your expenses just on this one deal. And heaven knows, you know, you could put together 10 more between now and then. So 
yes, I would like to get about uh, 10 more of those deals, <laughs> and I would take them. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So for listeners who are thinking, well, that's that's really cool, you know, but I've never done my first deal, what piece of advice would you give them that you'd like them to carry forward as your gift to them during the holiday season? I will say this, by going, you know, and, and there's three different investor groups in the Columbus area, that, and I usually very rarely miss them because I know how to do construction and remodel houses, which, you know, the flipping part is, it comes in. But I don't know anything about the business side of real estate. And everything that I've learned, I learned from going to those things. And guest speakers come in and talk about how to do this and how to do that. And that's the only reason I would have ever done that. I never heard of owner finance before and never even thought of it. Now it makes me, you know, I've only been doing this about three years. And now I wish, man, I wish I had started this about 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a fairly common thing that people will say about real estate associations. And and by the way, listeners, if if you live in a city bigger than 50,000 people, you've got a real estate association there. You just got to go look for it. They're not always called RIAs. You know, the one in Columbus is called Cori and the one in Pittsburgh is called Acre. So that you don't want to Google RIA necessarily, but rather like real estate investors associations. And many people, when I talk to investors in my day-to-day business, they'll say, well, no, I don't belong to that group because, you know, I've been doing this for five or six years and I don't really think there's anything that they could teach me. There's always a whole world of stuff that's going on that you don't know about even though you're already doing deals, right? And and for you, that thing was creative finance. For me, that thing was land trusts. (laughs) That's how I learned about land trusts. And it's always a good idea to go and share ideas with other folks who are already in your business and get advice from the speakers and the experts and all that sort of thing. That's why I'm such a huge advocate of real estate investors associations, good quality ones, of course. There's, There's such a thing as bad real estate investors associations, but good quality real estate investors associations all over the country. They fill a really important role. And for you, Roger, it was, I guess, opening up your eyes to the very idea that somebody might let you have a building for $300 up front. Yeah. And, well, one thing that was interesting when I asked her about owner finance, uh, she, when she said absolutely, one of the things, the reason she did it was because she had known me. And the other reason is her mom and dad, that's how they made their living in Canton, Ohio. And he, at one point, he had over 100 units. And when he retired, that's exactly how he sold all his units was owner finance. So she was familiar with it. She understood it and knew how it worked. Very good. All right. Well, we appreciate your sharing your wonderful deal with us at Cori and also here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Roger, and congratulations on your best deal of the year win. Then it's paid for. I'll really be smiling. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.